that's what I want to talk about is, is, is pain. This has been a year where I've experienced pain on every front, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain, and I don't, I don't even pretend to think that I'm the only one. We all go through series of seasons of intense pain and relief and, and these seasons, and I don't, I don't know what season you're in, <clears throat> but this has been, I just can't wait till this year is over, let's just put it that way, and I'm hoping the new year holds something a little different. Um, but um, when, when my shoulder started first getting really bad and it was limiting a lot of limiting stuff and I was going to appointments three times a week and we were trying to figure out what it was, Butch said, Tanya said, he said, I just feel like there's something you can learn from this that the Lord is wanting to teach. Not that, not that God does things to, for a purpose, but he can bring purpose to it. He just felt that there was something that the Lord wanted to teach me. And I, it was, I was reminded of that during that season, a common, you know, you go through and you're praying for people, you find a common theme in your prayers. And during that season, it's, it's kind of lightening up some, but a lot of my prayers involved exploit this season exploit a season of your life to get from it whatever you can from it that you can't gain elsewhere. So his words reminded me of that. And so I just started taking notes of what the doctors would tell me in regards to my pain and dealing with it, handling it, healing from it. And I wanted to bring that message to you on, and because I think it's a valid um, counsel with any type of pain that we experience. One of the first things I was told early on is, don't think about it. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? There is no facet of my life that is not affected by this pain. Every moment of every day, I am in constant pain. You're telling me, don't think about it? Well, don't focus on it. That's not a whole lot of help. I was never free from it. But there are times we go through things where there is something so painful, every facet of our life is affected by it. Everywhere we look, everything we do, it hits us full in the face. And we still got to live, we still got to function, we still got to go to work, we still got to do these things. Hebrews um, 12.2, and I shouldn't have, I'm like, where I'm going to bring it up, we know the verse uh, I wanted to read it, though. This is one thing about having these. There we go. It's where we're, you know, we're surrounded by witnesses, right in this race, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That word fix, I hate trying to pronounce Greek words, is aferao. And it doesn't mean, okay, look. It means to look away from all else and fix your eyes on Jesus. There is a dual action in that verb involved. And it's not just a, hey, don't, it just, it's, it's involves all that. It's like a recognition that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of pain in our lives. And look away from the pain and look to Jesus, who's both the author, the beginner, the founder, the, the, the origin of the faith you have, but he's also the finisher. He is the beginning and the end of the faith that you walk in. And we also know that it, he's been attempted in every way that we have, except he's never had PMS. So I don't really think they can really say that. <laughs> anyway, but another thing they said is, okay, because my shoulder was involved, they said, think about correct posture. Throw your shoulders back because my, my body wanted to do this. When I was a teenager, I, was, I didn't like being so tall, so I'd kinda, but I found my shoulders wanted to do this. 
They say, think about correct posture. Focus on it. So it's not, we're, it's not this, don't do this. It's a do this. When we're going through pain, we need to learn to um, take our thoughts captive and fix our thoughts somewhere. And if I tell you, don't think about, every one of you is going to start thinking about it. But if I tell you, think about, then you begin to think about that. Second Corinthians um, tells us, gives us another clue here on what we're to look at and what we're to focus on and think about when we're going through difficult times. Um, Oh, wow, sometimes a Bible. Okay. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is, temp- is eternal. So when you're going through pain, for me, I had to think about throwing my shoulder back. Whenever I did something, I had to think about consciously do something with my arm to do, I mean, and consciously do things, put it in positions that I didn't normally want to. But when you're going through pain, what are some things you need to think about and focus on? I think one thing that for me has been helpful this year is to focus on how tender he is with those who are hurting and wounded. The Bible tells us he is close to the brokenhearted, that he binds up their wounds. He is not a God who stands at a distance just waiting for us to get well and kind of checks on us every now and then. If you're going to put it in a medical metaphor, he's more of a nurse than a doctor. He tends to our every need. He's on call all the time. He's not a doctor that checks in in once in a while and really gets most of his information from the nurse. He knows us intimately. And he's tender and he's close to us and he wants our healing. He wants us to get better. He wants us to feel better. Another thing we focus on is that God is in us, God is for us, and God is with us. No matter what painful situation we're going through, God is right there with us. And he's for us. And if he's right there with us, a good question sometimes to ask is, where are you in this? Because I don't know about you, but there's times I'm going through dark seasons where I can't find him. And I ask, where are you in this? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to know? How do you see this? And conversing with him in the midst of that pain keeps his presence ever cognizant ever we're more realizing it if we're continually carrying on conversation and not just the whining conversation now whining and lament are two different things i think it's okay to lament i think it's okay to to shake our fists at god say this isn't right this hurts i'm so tired i can't handle anymore i think that's okay but there is a some point where our lamenting turns to whining and so lamenting is a good conversation to have you can't have a true relationship with someone if you can't tell them honestly how you're feeling. And so it's okay to lament. It's okay to talk to God with our pain. When there are moments, and there were times I would lay on the bed and, and just cry, I cannot handle this anymore. If one more thing happens, I don't, I don't know. And literally, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, at one point in time, I thought, I really, I really, I really wished I could just check out. I, I mean, I really wished I could die if I could be that honest, but... Suicide's not really an option. But I'm not the only one here that has felt that way. I know that. And so even in those moments, pulling on him, saying, I really want to die, this feels incredibly unfair. 
This just isn't right, and it's entirely too painful. Chronic pain, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual, affects your brain. And God is not scared of our thoughts during those times. But don't let it turn into whining, because whining then you're focusing on the pain and not on the author and finish of your faith. And so converse with him. What do you think of this? What do you want me to learn? Where are you here? What's the correct posture? All of our pain, some of our pain um, is caused by ourselves, our choices. Some of our pain is caused by life. And some of our pain is caused by other people. So what is the correct heart posture? We lean on his tenderness and his care. We converse with him. But what is my correct posture towards other people? And one of the things I think is important for us to realize that if, and Tim said this recently, if God can make it as if we've never sinned, he can make it as if we've never been sinned against. And I think it's helpful for us to remember that God loves, he loves the Peters as much as he loves the Judases. He loves, he loves Judas. He, Jesus grieved, I believe, when Judas left that room. He broke covenant with him. And I wonder in that act of covenant, he was hoping that would be one thing to pull him closer, and he still left. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm uncomfortable. I hate reading the comment section of anything. My husband, he gets, he gets this sadistic joy, I think, of reading the comment. I don't know. But to me, it's just, I, but one of the things that really grieves me, you have an article about someone who's done something horrible, and it, the comment section is filled with monsters. What a monster he is. Let this, and, I, and it grieves, it grieves my heart because that monster was one time a new little, tiny little baby that was formed and shaped somewhat by those things around him. And God loves that person just as he much loves the person that was wounded. Now, I, I, I do realize that there's a process in healing we go through that we can't just embrace someone who's really wounded us. I get that, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more when I talk about forgiveness, I think. So don't focus on it and think about correct posture. Think about where you need to go, where you're focusing on. You're going somewhere. Another thing um, the doctor said was, um, and, I, and I think of all the things, I think this is something that God has been teaching me my entire life. What I would do with my shoulder when it hurt, I would curl it up here like this because this was the position that it felt most comfortable. But I could gradually feel the muscles here atrophying, freezing. And the, one, the, the massage therapist I went to, she kept telling me, don't posture yourself in a way that relieves the pain now but does more damage in the long run. Now, folks, if there's one piece of advice we can give each other when it comes to dealing with pain, it's that one. Don't posture your heart in a way that relieves the pain now but creates problems down the road. So someone's hurt you and it's easy to pull away and put up walls and guard yourself rather than walking into it and saying, hey, this is how I've experienced you and this has hurt me deeply because that's opening you up to more pain. We need to be careful that we avoid, we will... Our, our, we are wired. It's instinctive in us to protect ourselves from pain. You don't think about it if something comes flying at you to duck. 
You don't think to throw your hands up. You just automatically do. You turn away from pain. You, we instinctively do this. We instinctively do it with physical pain or emotional pain. It's just we gotta, we're going to protect ourselves and pull away to avoid pain. And we, when we do that with each other, we're actually causing more distance and making it harder both to restore the relationship and to heal the pain. Because as long as the distance is there, there's a reminder of the pain that was caused. And it's in the coming together. Eventually, I realize that, I realize that trust, when it's broken, needs to be, re- needs to be in a sense, re-earned. It's when the, that's one of the biggest things. That's, that was my initial reaction with the revelation of Jonathan Welton. It was, who then can I trust? Who then can I look to and say, I can trust him. He won't, that won't happen with him. Then I realized that there is not a man alive that I can say, that man will never fall into that kind of sin. And there isn't a man that I know wants to be put on that kind of a pedestal. So there's a degree of trust that we enter into, into a relationship, acknowledging that this person may hurt us. And we're taking a risk. And we need to do that. Don't posture yourself in a way to avoid pain because if you're going to avoid pain, you're going to avoid love. The only way to avoid pain in relationship is to stay out of relationships. The only way to avoid pain in life is to isolate yourself from everything around you. And trust me, I lived 40 years like that. It is not worth it. It brings its own pain. It brings its own pain. Guard your heart. The thing about posturing, guard your heart. It's a conscious decision. It was a conscious decision for me to constantly pull my arm back. It was a conscious decision not to keep putting my hand this way. I had to keep. He would have to remind me, honey, don't do that. Guard your heart against resentment, bitterness, anger. Guard your heart. God is okay with our feelings toward him. But guard your heart against allowing those feelings to develop to, um, to create a seed that grows into walking away from God because you're walking away from the very person that can heal you. It's a process, and I get it. And he don't, he's okay with us wrestling with those things. Um, I don't know the guy's name. His name is, I don't know it. I've never heard of him. His name is Gene Amory. But he said that resentment, and I would, I would suggest that bitterness would, could fall in here too. Resentment, na- resentment, nails us to the cross of our ruined past. Nails us to the cross of our ruined past. Just like regrets nail us to the cross of our past mistakes. And we're nailed there. There's, I don't know, how many of you have read or seen the f- Unbroken? The first movie or read the book Unbroken? The, the sequel's out now and we want to go see it. Um, just as a brief synopsis, Louis Zamperini was an, um, um, an of, not official, what do they call, uh, if it's not a private, what do they call those other guys? He wasn't a general, but he had a position in the army. He was not just a, an enlistee. He had some sergeant major. I can't remember. Anyway, when he got captured by the Japanese, the, the guy that led his um, prisoner camp took special delight because he was not, because he was an officer and not a private or enlistee, he took special delight, fiendish delight, in torturing him. He, he did, and he would not let up. At one point in time, he had everybody in the camp stand in line, and they had to punch him. And if they didn't punch him, they would beat somebody else. They had to all give it everything they've got. And it went on out most of the day, the whole, the whole camp. 
special delight. When the guy gets shipped somewhere else, he made sure that Louis followed him. And Louis could not rid himself. They called him the bird because of the way he acted. Um, great. The four, first story tells the story. first movie tells us the story of what happened. The second story tells us tells the path to redemption. But when he gets out, whoa, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'll tell it here because it fits. When he gets out, this resentment is building in him. And he realized that he couldn't let the bird go. And so while during the war, the bird was unwilling to let Louis go, after the war, resentment made it so Louis was unable to let the bird go. And that's what resentment does. So guard your heart against resentment and bitterness. Another thing that happens when we, we posture ourselves in a way that's not good, it's in these... Every moment, you're, there's, there are a lot of events in life that will give you a truth or they're going to give you a lie. And it's in the painful moments as we try to make sense of what's going on. We're trying to figure out why, and we want to have some sense of control over our life. We don't want the pain. We're trying to figure out, this is what I'm feeling now. I want to avoid it later. I don't want to keep this. So we tend to try to figure out some way of explaining this so that I can avoid it later. We end up believing lies. It's one of the lies that I, uh, I it's, one, it's a lie that I'm still, still wrestling against, is, is I believe at a very young age that emotions were useless or manipulative, and they had no other good reason. So I just wouldn't feel emotion, except anger. And I'm still reaping the consequences of that lie, even though I know it's not a lie. I've got truth, and he's working me through it, but I don't like emotions, so it's really hard for me to apply the truth to my life. But it's in those moments that lies take their road, and because we're so vulnerable, we're vulnerable to anything that makes, help us make sense of what we're going through, what we're experiencing. And so we end up being lies, and then we end up getting these things that get planted in our hearts. Um, yeah. So another thing that kept reminding me to do is breathe deeply. And this breathe deeply was not just take deep breaths as much as breathing deeply is also helps you relax and rest. And if I was tensing up, it, cre- it would create more problems in my muscles. So when we're going through pain, man, rest. <laughs> That's about like don't think about it, isn't it? That's about like don't think about it. But again, it's a, all of these things are a conscious thing. I, I, love, I love that the Christian life is not all God and not all me. But it's a coming together. He does so much, and I respond. He says, here, do this. I grab his hand, and I do it. Or I don't do it. But I mean, it's this partnership. I am not negating. I'm not saying I'm equal to him and less power. But you understand what I'm saying. I don't, I'm not just a puppet that... If he says, do this, I do it, it's, there's a partnership that goes along. So he's provided for our healing. He's provided means for us to be relieved of pain. And it's up to us to reach and grab those things. And one of the things is resting. I, I didn't really do a study, but I, I, would, I, mean, I, I know I've heard the relation of, well, we all know the, the effect that anxiety has on us. So if you've already got a physical condition that's involving pain, anxiety is going to worsen the pain. It tenses everything. Rest. Um, Matthew tells us to come to me all you are weary and burdened I will give you rest and I want to explain a chapter here uh, um, John 14 this is going to seem totally unrelated when I get started John 14 is where Jesus is meeting with his disciples in his final hours 
He is getting ready to go. He knows that this is the last time he's going to have with them before Garden of Gethsemane he's going to be arrested. He, this, is, this is the last thing. And now I want you to imagine you are discipling these people and you know what is about to happen and you need to prepare them. Because these guys don't know that, God's, that Jesus is going to go to the cross. They think he's starting, he's going to resurrect Israel. He's going to be their king and their Messiah and deliver them from Rome. They're still believing for that. And in about six short hours, he's going to be arrested. And within 24, he's going to be dead on a cross. That is a very short time to process that, and Jesus knows it. So what does he tell them? Guys, don't be discouraged. In my father's house are many mansions. Now, we have thought of this as in heaven, we've got a mansion. Those of us who are extroverts say, no thanks, I'll move on to somebody else. And those who are introverts are saying, finally, I'll get some time alone. But we put it off in the future. Those words there, that house, the word for house is bosom. And the word for room is a dwelling place. In my father's heart, there are many dwelling places. Don't be troubled. See, and that for them, they need to have some far-off hope that someday in the future they're going to have a, their own mansion in heaven is nothing. They needed to know they had some place to go in six hours when their world fell apart. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to that dwelling place, curled up, and just cried. Because it's, it's accessible to us right here now. And so when you're in pain, man, just curl up in that dwelling place in the Father's heart. Just, just talk to him, cry with him, and go to sleep there. I, and I, I envision that. I don't envision his heart and me crawling into it. I envision curling myself up into him and being safe and crying. And if I can't sleep and I can't rest, I'm like, I did it the night before the procedure. I was really scared about that procedure. And I just talked to him. I just, I, in, in my mind, in my heart, my soul, I was kind of curled up in his presence and said, I need sleep because I'm not going to be able to handle tomorrow with a lack of sleep. Will you please help me go to sleep? And, and I was able to sleep. Access the dwelling place you have in the Father's heart. Go there and cry your heart out, sleep, rest, whatever. Talk it out with him, lament, beat on his chest if you want to. But when we're hurting, go to the Father's heart. Go right into that place. And if you have to envision it, imagine it in your mind, picture it, you do that. Our, our imaginations are sanctified. And imagining and picturing things is, good for, is a good exercise for us to do, especially for those of us who are more um, literal, analytical, and not as metaphorical in our minds. Um, another thing they told me is don't allow your pain to be a limiting factor. Um, I'm like... I, I can't get the clothes out of my dryer. I can't reach the second shelf in my cupboard without pain. Every movement, but don't allow your pain to be a limiting factor. Push through it sometimes. You know, when things hurt us, like our, one of, when we're trying to avoid pain, we pull back. If you are of a personality that when you show up for yourself, people just don't take you, you want to hide yourself. And if it happens enough, it's fine. I'll just pull back. I'll just make myself less. And you just, you just can't show up full of yourself because you're going to be, you've, you've faced enough rejection being you. 
And the pain of that rejection, the pain of possible experiencing that again, I said, fine, I won't, I won't do that. I won't show up fully myself. There are times when God leads you to do something. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assure you that it's pretty much of a 100% guarantee that no matter what God asks you to do, somebody's going to think you're wrong in doing it. Almost 100% because you know, it only takes one counterexample to prove me wrong. And I don't like to be proven wrong when I'm in public. But anyway, <laughs> it's a pretty much of a guarantee that if you're going to follow what God wants you to do, people are going to, there are going to be some people who are going to reject it. They're going to reject you. They're going to argue with you. And if that happens enough, you're going to say, I don't know that I can keep doing this. And there's confusion that develops. Like, I thought this is what you, but people I know and trust and love, they're, and, I, and you back up. Let me tell you something. Do it anyway. If showing up fully yourself has been met with rejection, show up fully yourself anyway. Keep on doing it. Sometimes you step out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's okay. Oh, then there's other times like, I will never do that again. Either you're humiliated, you're embarrassed or whatever. I will never experience that pain again. Back to my comfort zone, I'm going to stay. Don't stay there. Don't let your pain that you experience be a limiting factor and keep you in your comfort zone. Now, there is a place, there is a very real need to take care of yourself. When Jesus was wearied, he went up on the mountain. So there's this tension here of taking care of me when I realize I, I, I need to take care of me. But I, have, I, I promise you, I don't know how many times I have come to a situation or come to something thinking I have nothing left to give I've spent much of my year feeling that there is nothing inside of me. And as people draw on it, he answers, and I'm like, whoa, I'm back then to nothing. But he fills me in that moment. And that's another reason why we can't allow pain to be our limiting factor, because it's in our weakness that his strength is made most perfect. It's when we do things that we feel like we can't do or unable to do, it hurts too much to do, that he comes through and shines. And I, don't, I, would, I would suggest to you, there are times I realize that he works through us in spite of our pain, but there are times that he works through us because of our pain. Yes. There's a book I have, Your Scars Are Beautiful to God. The pain that you are going through now is a testimony, not later, while well, it is, not just later, it also can be a testimony now. It can be the very thing that he uses to minister to people. So don't think, I'm hurting too much, I can't. There is a tension there in taking care of yourself. Once I realized that this arm was not a rotator cuff injury, then I knew I could work it. And then I had to, then I had to push through the pain. So if it was a rotator cuff injury, I would have to rest it. So there are... There are injuries of the nature that you might need to back away for a little bit, take a break, a respite, a sabbatical, whatever, but don't isolate yourself. And that's what's often. We've got to be careful that in our avoiding pain, why are, why are we going to this place of, is it because I need healing and I'm going, this is the, this is the way I need to rest and he's asked me to rest, or is it I've got to get away from people or I'm going to keep getting hurt and I can't do that anymore? Is our reason, and this is going to, might sound controversial, is it because I love myself and I love you enough to know I am not in a good place now to help you? If I've got a broken arm, you don't want me to try to carry you across anywhere. I'm, or, you know, 
So is it because of my love for you and my love for myself and my love for what God has asked me to do or is it because I'm trying to avoid pain? Understanding that, I don't, I don't know why the devil does this. Probably just to get us. But he, he kind of picks out pain for us that triggers previous pain because it touches a lie, touches something. And we can use that as an opportunity to allow the, the lie to be revealed and, and then heal from that lie. So we really get a double whammy. We can heal from this pain and heal from the previous pain at the same time if we let him do that. Where am I? Okay. Don't, let your, don't limit yourself for your pain. Do what needs to be done. Do what he asks you to do and allow him to shine through your pain. And then what happens when I limit myself and when I pull back and I posture myself in a way, when I, because I, I kept doing this my shoulder, because I, kept, I stopped using it, then it froze, literally froze, so that I could bring my arm here and I wasn't experiencing pain, but I could not bring it any further. There were things that I would try to do with this arm that it wasn't causing pain, but I could not do it. It was so impossible to do it that it felt like the arm wasn't meant to do that, except for the fact that I have a right arm that could do it well. You see, this is how, how, this is how frozen my shoulder was. The pain was starting to dissipate. The painful part of the, the whole um, this, the stages of the, the uh, condition was starting to go away, but my arm was literally frozen, and I could not do things. And when we posture our heart in such a way to protect ourselves from a pain, when we pull away and limit ourselves because of the pain, we can get frozen. Frozen in this state. And I know what that's like because I I'm, I'm, I'm feel like I'm thawing but for the past number of months. I, I love to study. You guys know that. And I, and I love to teach. But I'm going to be... The last number of months, I, 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 the, I, I couldn't. And it wasn't a powerless, helpless, I can't, I can't do this. It was, it felt literally impossible. Just like my arm felt literally impossible to get up, up above, beyond here. And our soul can get frozen in that place because we've limited ourselves. And it can feel impossible to do the things that we once did. And what do we do there? How do we... How do we get out of that place? One of, the, one of the biggest keys for a lot of pain that occurs is forgiveness. And if you feel stuck, when I started feeling stuck, one of the first questions I started asking, when I realized, I kept thinking, I'm too tired, this, that, the other, and I kept putting it off. And when I finally started to realize every, every time I open my Bible, every time I try to study, every time I try to even think about formulating any thoughts into something cohesive beyond that of what a six-year-old can manage, I couldn't. And uh, I was like, one of the first questions I asked was, who do I need to forgive? Because forgiveness unlocks that prison that we get into. And it's one of the only keys. That was what Louis Zamperini needed to learn. Once he was able to forgive, he was able to let go. It's a vital step. Now, Matthew tells us, and I want to explain this verse the way I see this verse. Matthew tells us, and this, because, let me back up. Forgiveness is a vital key, but your, your soul is still crying, and it needs healing, and it needs some degree of comfort to know this step of forgiveness isn't going to put it, make it more vulnerable. Okay? So, 
I've, I've talked with people who are rushed to forgiveness. There's a, a lady, and I may have shared the story that I was talking to. I know it. I'm pretty sure I have. I'll just recap it. She had been raped by a brother as a preschooler. And as time went on, whenever she would forgive him, he would use that as an opportunity to rape her again or molest her, whatever the extent of it was. So she began to equate mercy and forgiveness with being assaulted and to tell that woman, well, you're going to need to forgive. Her view of forgiveness was completely warped. Her soul had needed answers. And I talked with someone else who their view of forgiveness was there. So they'd get into this. They would be... um, taken advantage of, and not necessarily sexual. I want to separate these two stories. It was more of a you know, sibling rivalry or one sibling constantly taking advantage of another one, and he would not be at fault, and dad would say, come on, let's forgive and make up. But he, he, didn't, he didn't have a chance to express, well, it was just, just forgive and make up, so they would apologize and go on, but the hurt had never been really resolved. So these, these people that I'm talking to are changing my view of how we approach forgiveness we approach forgiveness too quickly. It's like sewing up a gangrenous wound, a gangrenous wound. The gook is still there. The soul has a story to tell. Now, there are processes of forgiveness. I can say, yes, I forgive, and I realize that that is one step toward healing. But it's not necessarily a unilateral, I completely forgive the guy or person, I'm going to welcome back in my life, and I'm going to... There are stages to forgiveness... So when I'm, when I'm ministering to people, I'm not, I don't, while, while forgiveness is very, very key to unlocking ourselves and to healing from pain and to moving on from pain, I still, am, I still recognize that sometimes we need to take our time and it's not the first thing I want to tell somebody. And then the verse where Jesus says, if you forgive others your trespasses, God's going to forgive you. And if you don't forgive, he won't forgive. And we sometimes hold that over people as a lie. Well, you know what? If you don't forgive him, I know that was horrible, but it's nothing compared to what you've done with Jesus. So if you don't forgive him, Jesus isn't going to forgive you. You tell that to a victim who's been seriously wounded by somebody, and Jesus feels like some manipulative big guy in the sky that doesn't really care. But forgiveness is still very vital. It's still very important. Forgiveness is still the means of me getting unstuck and moving on. Forgiveness is still one of the most important keys for me healing this wound and this pain and being free of it. So what do I do with that verse? And I don't, this is where I've come to see it. See, when, you, when I'm holding on to something and I'm coming to him in need of something, I can't receive because I'm already holding on to something. But when I can release that offense, my hands are now free, figured metaphorically, to receive what he has for me. But it takes time for me to be able to release this. You've all seen that. I'm sure you've seen that cartoon, that little girl having this tiny teddy bear, and he's got it. Jesus is asking him to give it, and he's got something even better behind his back. Well, we have, we, there, there takes time sometimes for us to realize that I know that I give this to you. I'm giving it up, and I'm done, and I know. I don't see it. I don't, I don't understand what it could be, but I know you've got something better. And that's where our faith comes in, where we're focusing on what's not seen rather than what is seen. We're focusing, when we're focusing on this offense, and it seems so hard to let go, When we have a faith in a God who doesn't tease us, who doesn't put carrots in front of us, who doesn't drag us through things just because of some whim, nor does he hurt us just because there's some purpose in in his mind, he brings purpose to our pain. When we begin to trust him, we can much, we learn to get to the place where we can release those offenses faster and faster. 
And, but we we're releasing it within the context of a relationship with a God who loves us dearly and has so much good for us. And it's in the context of that relationship that we're able to release it. It's in the context of that relationship that I can trust the men in my life despite the betrayal, of, despite Jonathan's betrayal because I trust him. And I know that he's going to take care of me. And I do, to a large extent, trust a lot of the men in my life. So I'm not, I'm not looking guys thinking, well, who's going to be next? I'm not. It's not in the back of mine. But it, it, it was the, in my original response. Trust, my trust of you, my trust of the people in my life is founded first on my trust in Jesus. My forgiveness, when I forgive wounds that have been done to release the, when I forgive, it's because it comes from a place of a relationship with him and abiding in him and dwelling in him and resting in him that I know that he's got me. It is not a unilateral, it is not a unilateral decree that it will never happen again. And this is where we work out all these things of does he know, does he permit, and I'm not going to get into that right now. I just know that he's a God that can be trusted with my pain and I can curl up and he, I can trust him with it and I know that he'll take care of me. When, um, so to heal this shoulder, there were several things I could do. I could let it go, but it was only about a 30% chance that it would ever resolve itself. And even then, there was likely to be bone degeneration or deterioration of the joint to some degree. And while I might be almost 53 years old, I am too young to have joint deterioration and degeneration, in my opinion. I don't feel like I'm 53. I feel like I'm about 33 until I try to do something that I could. Yes. But... So I knew that I could let it go, and that felt like the easiest way to go because the pain was decreasing. Things were kind of, I still, could, I still felt pain and I got bumped. So that was one way that I could have done it. And it felt, there was a, oh, I'll be honest with you, part of me thought that seemed like really, I entertained that thought briefly. I could have, there's a surgery where they put you under and they just move the arm, just force it to go all over the place, just rip it around. Problem with that was they can they can tear good muscle. They could fracture the humerus or the the little cap or what. They could just do sorts of damage. The other was where they could put me out and go in arthroscopically and cut away the scar tissue. And then the third was the procedure I chose, where um, they put me in positions. They and then they put the arm in a position where they, it was the scar tissue was compromised, and then put it then broke the scar tissue, moved it. But all of those, three of those, involved somebody else forcing my arm to go into a position it was currently unable to do. I liked the last option because I was cooperating with him. I didn't like it because I was wide awake. But there are times when we're stuck and we're going through pain. We need somebody else to come alongside of us and help us break the scar tissue and help push us into that place where we need to be, help push us back to where we once were. And I don't mean back as in a forward or back. Push us into who we truly are. Push us into, back in, push us into doing things we know that God has asked us to do. Ask me somebody you trust, and, it's, and you have to cooperate with them. I could have, I had a lot more risk if I'd done those other surgeries. I could have been out. I wouldn't have felt any pain. But life isn't like that. Your best results are when somebody you love and trust can come alongside and help push you, but it's going to hurt. It's still going to hurt. And we can't, we can't avoid pain. 
in any, and, and when we're stuck, we can't avoid pain to get out of it without some sort of loss. So we need each other. But that comes back to trust again. And when you've been hurt by people in the church, when you're hurt by people around, it's really, it's harder to find somebody. But you got to risk. It's the only way to walk through pain. It's the only way to get out of it. So if you're in a lot of pain and you're feeling stuck or you don't know how to get out of it and it's the only thing that occupies, it's the primary thing that occupies your mind and you've tried, you've prayed, you've gone through all these other steps, find somebody you trust. Talk with them about it and help them push you where you need to go. God is willing and and able to heal any pain you have, be it physical, emotional, spiritual. He's not distant. He's not somewhere else. He wants to heal your pain. He wants to relieve you of the pain you're carrying. I've said it a couple times. I'll say it again. God is not saying, well, I brought you this pain for a purpose. He's saying, I'll bring purpose to that pain. I believe so powerfully in redemption and that God can turn anything around to good I think, I think that's why we sometimes blame him for the pain because he brings so much good out of it. We think he planned it all along. He didn't. He's just really, really, really good at transforming our pain into a powerful testimony if we give it to him, if we come to him with it. He comes to you. He's offered everything to, for your pain, to deal with it, to heal from it, to relieve it. And then he's asking you, will you do these things? He's done all he can do. And all he asks is that we do the best that we can do to bring healing to our pain. If the, if the ministry team can come up, you're experiencing pain. As always, anytime in ministry time, if there's something you came here that you need prayer for, please come up. But if you've been dealing with a lot of pain that you need help walking through, you just need someone to pray with you through, whatever it is you need, you come on up. I'm going to pray, and you just can come up while I'm praying. Father, I thank you that you have provided a means, that you, you desire, you seek, you long for our healing and relief from pain more than we do. That you have, there's a place in your heart that Jesus provided for us through the cross that we have access whenever we need it. We can stay there as long as we need it. We know that we can come to you and we can cry in your arms. We can, we can tell you we're hurting. We know that we can find there. We can find the comfort and the relief from pain we need. I hate it. I, I, I hate it that pain. There's a part of me that, that just hates that pain has to be such a natural, a normal part of our lives. But the enemy's tries. I know, I know he wants to defeat us and he wants to discourage us. We just come to you and say we're hurting. And we just need you to take, to heal. And I thank you, God, that even though pain is horrible, I know we can trust you to bring powerful good out of the most horrible pain we've experienced. If you want, and if you want prayer, come on up. 